Welcome back to Becoming Your Best Version, where I interview amazing women about pivoting in their lives, making changes, and becoming their best version the way, the only ways they know how. So today I am crossing paths with uh, an incredible woman, Nancy Davis Co. Did I pronounce that correctly? That's right. That's right. Who is a speaker and a podcaster and an author. She wrote this book that I am going to read next called The Thank You Project, Happiness, One Letter of Gratitude at a Time, uh, which just sounds right up my alley. Cultivating happiness. You know, I had to get the head to get the action verb in there. Cultivating happiness. Sorry, Sorry. it was cut off on my screen. Okay. Um, Nancy also has this incredible podcast called Midlife Mixed Tape, which is how I learned about her. One of my friends and a former guest on this podcast, Michelle Fishburne, was on her show, and I just love it. I love what she is doing. She won a 2020 Iris Award as Podcast of the Year and was included in the Wall Street Journal's list of eight podcasts for anyone nervously facing retirement. Wow. I was surprised by that because I am not nervously facing retirement. I am running full-fledged into retirement. So if it helps, great. I don't think I'll ever get there, but you know. Oh, I love it. She also has been both champion and judge in the acclaimed international comedy lit improv show called Literary Death March. You can learn more about her work in um, at davisco.com, and the spelling is in the show notes. So welcome, Nancy. Thank you so much for having me, Marie. I'm happy to be here. She's joining us from the San Francisco Bay Area, which is so beautiful. And as I think our listeners know, I'm in the Washington, D.C. area. So thank goodness for technology that (laughs) we can connect like this. We were both just talking about our rescue dogs, which uh, who may or may not appear on this broadcast. We shall see. That's right. (laughs) Ours is is still a bit of an unknown quantity. We've only had him for two weeks, but he seems to be a good podcast producer. He's been quiet every time I've been recording my podcast. So I think he gets it. Oh, I love it. I love it. So first of all, let's talk about your book. Tell me why you decided to write The Thank You Project. Well, the book came out of something I did the year I turned 50. I had decided that year that I wanted to make it more of a milestone than most years. It felt like a time to be reflective. So I decided in January of that year, that was 2016, that I was going to write one letter a week to someone who had helped, shaped, or inspired me up to that point in my life. And I made a list of about you know, 20 names, friends and family. And I just thought I want to write 50 letters, but I'm, I don't even know 50 people. So I'll figure that out when I finish these first 50 letters. And it ended up being a really transformative practice for me. I, I did it initially because I thought, you know, everything's going great. My husband and I had been together forever. Our girls were healthy. My parents were doing well. And I think by the time you hit your forties and fifties, you start you should recognize if you don't that that those periods where everything's going well are not a given, you know, not, not everybody gets that. So I felt like it was important to acknowledge how lucky I was, how fortunate I was, and that 
I had not gotten to that stage of my life on my own, that people had helped me get there. So that's really how it started. If you read the book, you know that uh, it's, I'll just give it away because it's in the first chapter. Um, my dad died very suddenly that year. He was 81, but we did not know that he had cancer. He had six weeks between diagnosis and his death. And it ended up being a really difficult year for me. And that was when the letters became even more important because at a dark time, they helped me refocus on the good things in my life, the things that were still you know, positive, the people around me who helped me. And so I finished the letters. It took me longer than a year because I took some time off after dad died. But when I finished the letters, I put them away and I was like, there, I did my 50 letters. It was really great. I'm glad I did that. The end. And what led to the book was that a few months later, I had a an acquaintance say to me, I heard you did this thing for your 50th birthday. Can you explain it to me? And, you know, 45 minutes of questioning later, I was like, oh, I thought it was more straightforward, but I get whatever. And then another person asked me. And then by the time the third person asked me to lay out exactly what I did, I thought, okay, I could write this down. I could make it easier for people to do this for themselves. So there was no intention of turning this into a book at any point until I realized that more people would benefit from doing this. And the one thing that, I, so it's, the book is a blueprint of how to do it for yourself. There's lots of how to, there's lots of ideas of the kinds of people you might want to write to, but it, it was important for me when I got the book contract, I said to my editor, I want a lot of brain science in there because I want to understand why it worked on me so well. And I want readers to know that it's not just me saying, oh, this, this is a thing I did and you should give it a try. I really wanted to ground it in the scientific benefits that have been quantified around an act of gratitude practice. So that for me, as a, as a journalist myself, as someone who just always has loved research, that was really cool. And boy, after writing the book, I was like, wow, I didn't even know all the good stuff that I got out of it. It was, um, you know, there's some really interesting psychological and physiological benefits that come from whether it's writing gratitude letters or writing in your gratitude journal or just saying your three good things every day, you know, we are wired to work best from a state of gratitude. Oh, I wholeheartedly agree. That is beautiful. And it's similar to my experience in writing 50 after 50, reframing the next chapter of your life. I did not intend to write a book and people kept asking me, what are you doing for your 50th birthday? And my gift to myself was to try 50 new things to determine how I wanted to craft the next chapter of my life. Because at age 50, I got divorced, got sober from alcoholism, and was living alone for the first time in my life and became an empty nester. So I was feeling rudderless and wanted to explore different ways of living and felt that I had lost myself in child rearing, having taken, having taken 15 years off from practicing law to raise my kids, for which I am very grateful. But nonetheless, I felt like uh, it would be difficult for me to start practicing law again, though I did it. And I now practice law as a civil litigator and do all my other things that feed me um, like you do. It looks like you are a jack of many trades <laughs> as I am and that uh, really stimulates me and keeps me happy and growing. But I did learn in that year of magical doing the importance of cultivating gratitude and what happiness meant to me in midlife was very different 
than what it meant when I was younger. Do you feel the same way about your definition of happiness? I do. And I also think that the last year and a half has had an interesting impact on my definition of happiness because I am somebody who is, I always thought I was an extrovert. First of all, I've been, so I have two daughters, they're 23 and 20. And when the baby was born, the baby who's 20, <laughs> uh, I, I had already gone, I'd worked in international business. I have a couple of degrees in international management and that was my field. I traveled a lot. I loved it. And uh, when the first daughter was born, I was like, hmm, I don't know that I want to travel so much. And I cut back. And then when the second daughter was born, that was when I started working from home. I started, I started, I had like the pandemic virtual work at home thing since 2000. That was when I started oh, nice. working from a home office. And I've been lucky because I've been able to find meaningful part-time corporate work, you know, where I could balance it with, with having the kids. Um, but the downside of that for me is that I'm, I consider myself very extroverted. So I was home, home all the time, right? I was either home with my kids or I was home working. And so it was, it has been important to me the whole time that my kids were at home that I always had dinner out with girlfriends or uh, for me, live concerts is a huge thing. So, you know, you can tell with midlife mixtape as my podcast name, music is meaningful to me. So I always have had at least one concert on the calendar every month and, you know, a pretty social person. And over the last year, my husband started working from home. Our oldest daughter graduated college and got a job. So she's been here and the youngest kid was home for part of that time. She's now back at university. And I'm like, oh my God, I think I'm an introvert because they're all around me all the time. And I don't like, I really needed my quiet time during the day. I did not realize that. And so the outcome is that throughout, even now that we can go out again, I'm not sure I'm going to be going out at nearly the same level that I was before. Of course, I'm, you know, I want to see my friends. I want to reconnect in person with people who I've only seen on Zoom over the past year. But I feel like my speed got lowered permanently. And oh, yes. I may still do the, the once a month concert. I've got tickets lined up again. I just, I just blew through my 2020 and 2021 concert budget. Cause I'm so happy to see people back on the road again, but um, you know, getting together for dinner, getting together, I'm like, hmm, or I might just stay home, <laughs> you know, and maybe that's part of the definition of happiness is just like getting better at recognizing what you need right now. And I'm not saying I have certainly, I mean, it sounds like you too have had a path where you had the kids front and center for a while. Now you have career front and center. I think one of the biggest things that I've learned in 55 years now is how things change. You know, you think you're on a path in your twenties, you're going, I mean, I was going to be an international business person my whole life. You were going to be a lawyer, you know, and then you go in a different direction and then the direction switches again. And I think that's one of the biggest takeaways from doing my show where I talk to my guests. We, I, the tagline for my show is for the years between being hip and breaking one. I love and, that. Well, I always say, if you don't think that's funny, please don't listen to the show because there will be <laughs> nothing for you there. But one of the biggest takeaways is how, how pretty much everybody has has switched tracks a few times by the time they're in their fifties. And if I could tell younger people one thing, it's that like, don't work, don't panic, pick a thing that you like to do now, pick a thing that makes you happy now 
and recognize that that may change in time and you can find something completely new to love. And you have so many more acts. You have so many more chapters than you might think when you're in your 20s. I don't even know if that answered the question. That was a meandering journey of something, <laughs> some sort. It was great. It did answer the question and I love it. And I was going to mention your tagline because I think it's brilliant and funny and I love it. So it's definitely self-selecting because I have had a few people be like, what hip, what, what? I'm like, don't listen. <laughs> Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> Yeah, it's too much work for both of us. That's wonderful. And I love that we today have the ability to chapter our lives. And because of advances in healthcare and medicine and just healthier lifestyles that we get this chapter. It's not time for us to retire in right. our 50s that we get to do more. One of my most interesting guests on my show is this woman named Joanna Bloor, who's a potentialist. And she's really good at saying, okay, this is what you're doing now. Let's think about what you might want to do next. And what are the things you can be doing now just to make that possible, just to keep that door open. And I think that's a really helpful way to think about our lives, especially if you are still mired in, and I, you know, I say mired with love, but if you are <laughs> mired in raising your kids and being a hands-on parent and giving them the support they need, especially over the past year, because the young people in our lives have needed more support than ever. But just because you're doing that now doesn't mean you can't start envisioning where you want to go and maybe taking a class or making a connection or going to a comp, you know, what are the things you can do to just keep those, keep those doors open to, to different paths that you think you may want to pursue? Is I've never heard anyone use the word potentialist. Neither did had she, I. She was my first. Did she make it up? Do you know? She did. I love it. Well, I, if, and the other, the other, the other term she uses is fairy godmother. So oh. you can choose either one. She does love, she loves rhinestones. So. Okay. Okay. I think I might add potentialist to my description of myself. There you go. <laughs> That's awesome. And I too have done a lot of reevaluating during the pandemic. And I believe that it provided an opportunity for all of us to reprioritize our lives and to make changes. And hopefully it was a wake up call to most of us about things that needed to be changed in right. our lives. And I agree with you. I will not go out nearly as much. I now realize I don't need as many material things as I thought pre-pandemic especially from the grocery store. Like I just simply am not going to go to the grocery store as much as mm -hmm. I do and use more things that I already have. So I- It's a good takeaway. Yeah. And I'm hoping that some of these changes, all of these changes for me will stick. And I hope that they will change, they will stick for others as well. So you do a, a fair amount of side gigs. Do you want to talk about any of those in the context of- um, becoming your best version, self-improvement? Sure. I mean, right now, and for the past eight years, I have had a day job in the digital publishing world. That's kind of the industry that I've played in since the 90s. And I am the vice president of business development for a small consultancy where we work with publishers to help them get their content out into uh, bigger platforms, other platforms. So we kind of try to help 
publishers who are always stretched for revenue find other revenue sources. And mm. what's what I love about this, first of all, I love my coworkers and my boss. It's a great gig. And I've you know, it kind of took me a long time to work my way into this company. I've, I had spotted them about 20 years ago, and I used to run into the founders at conferences all the time. And I'd say, make it, if you create a job for me, I want to come work for you. And so we finally figured it out eight years ago, but I was also upfront with them. And I said, I, I don't want to work full time because I have all this other stuff I want to do. I was writing the blog at the time, midlifemixtape.com is also a blog and um, I thought I was going to maybe be writing a book someday. And so it has worked really well. I work three quarters time in my day job and I love it. And then I work the rest of the time on my creative pursuits, the podcasting and the writing and what, and, and part of my writing is that I do um, a lot of profile writing for editorial clients. I write for the, used to write a lot for the San Francisco Chronicle, not lately, just because I have, I keep forgetting to pitch them things, but I write for um, a, a couple of other editorial publications. And I just was talking to my boss about this, my day job boss about this the other day, because I said, I feel like me working part-time has been so good for the consultancy and so good for my writing, because on the one hand, I have this creative outlet. I feel really satisfied. I feel lucky that I've got the time to do that. And it puts me in flow. And then with the creative work, I can always turn to my day job for things, tasks that you can check off the list. Because if you talk to anybody who's a writer or a creative of any kind, your work is never done. You never know if it's, you know, is this fully baked? Is this? And so it's nice having this part of my life where it's like, send an email to that client, check that's done. And so it's worked. I feel very fortunate to have that balance. And of course, it's nice to have money coming in the door when you are paying college tuition too. Mm -hmm. So that's another thing I used to say to younger moms than me, you know, I have tried working full-time. I have tried working not at all. And I have worked part-time and in various points in my kids' development, each of those worked well. This is where I am now, and I don't assume it will always be like this because, again, things change. But you just do your best to figure out what works right now for your family and for you and, and try to find that solution. Yes, yes. Uh, in looking at your website, midlifemixtape.com, I see a lot of anthologies as well as the Thank You Project book. Are you a contributor then to a lot of anthologies? I was in my early writing days. So I didn't really start writing until I turned 40. And I was coming down the barrel to that birthday. And that was the year that was, I wanted to write thank you letters at 50. At 40, I was like, this can't be all I do. I can't just be a corporate, you know, a corporate person. There's, I feel like there's something creative I want to do. And I had always liked writing a lot. And so I started taking classes and courses and submitting things. So yeah, in my uh, 40s, one of the best ways for new writers to get their feet wet with publishing is to submit to anthologies. So you will see on my website, there's a ton of anthologies, including one I'm really proud of called Listen to Your Mother, which was edited by edited and created by my dear friend, Anne Immig. And it's a really great book of essays about mothering written from the standpoint of mothers, of children, of, you know, it just it's just such a wonderful um, mosaic of mothering stories. It's a great give for your next Mother's Day or your mom's birthday. Um, so that one in particular, I was really It does look like that. Yeah. And I love that it 
doesn't just cover traditional motherhood that Correct. you have entries from LGBT parents and special needs parents. Very, very important. Yeah. And set a standard for me being part of that project. I knew when I launched the podcast, I wanted to have a really diverse set of guests on my show because mm -hmm. I am a cisgender white lady, you know, middle-class <laughs> there's a million of us writing books about what it's like <laughs> to be anything. And we have an easy time getting in front of the in front of a larger audience and i was determined to use my show to talk to people who don't look like me and have uh -huh. had different kinds of experiences so i hope that i'm living up to the standard that ann set and i try you know with every guest to just make sure we're telling a diverse group of stories because i've learned both in writing and in podcasting and as a reader and as a podcast listener that sharing stories is a really important way to build empathy. You know, reading books by people who have nothing in common with you is one of the fastest ways to understand them. Mm. So, you know, I really encourage everybody to diversify your reading list, diversify your listening, you know, your listening. And I mean, storytelling, it goes back to the heart of how humans interact with one another from the caveman days. You share your story you build some connection, you build some empathy. And uh, in 2021, we all need a little more empathy, I think. Absolutely. Now, my favorite question, which you've already partially answered, is how do you become your best version? I love this question, and I have spent a couple of days thinking about it, and the three initial answers I had I've thrown out. But I think the real answer is, I become my best version by reminding myself to choose hope over fear, mm. because I think it's very easy to look around and notice all the giant problems in the world and think there is no solution for these. They're, they are too big for us. And only in choosing to believe that things can improve, can I put myself in a place where A, I'm not anxious and sad all the time, and B, I can be part of the solution. And I think that these tie directly to the gratitude practice that I write about in the Thank You Project, because one of the things that I learned in the, in the research for that book is that by writing those thank you letters, I was doing something called uh, enhancing my positive recall bias. So everyone's born with both positive and negative recall bias. Negative recall bias serves a purpose. It's what it initiates your fight or flight mechanism. It gets you out of the way of the speeding car. Like you need that. But the problem is when you get stuck in negative recall bias and you wake up every day thinking there are a million problems. There are a million things out to get me. There's no way I'm going to, I'm going to do, there's no way I can win over these things. And so what researchers have found is that the best way to dampen that tendency to look for negative things is to encourage the positive recall bias, which is simply noticing the good things around you. So every time I set out to write a letter, I would, I wrote, you know, what I wrote them on Friday afternoons. That was my little routine. And I would spend the whole week thinking about the person I was going to write to. What, have, what lessons have they taught me? What are really fun times that we had together that stand out in my mind? What are the ways this person inspires me. And unwittingly, I was just strengthening and strengthening and strengthening that positive recall bias because I knew I had to fill up a page of material. So I just had to spend time every week thinking, what's great about this person? And so by the end of 50, I mean, by the time I got to 30 letters, I was not writing to people anymore. I was writing to hobbies. I was writing to cities I'd lived in because 
I was getting better and better at figuring out, you know, that the things that have helped shape and inspired me aren't always people. I was also writing to people I couldn't send a letter to because they'd passed away. Mm. So I wrote a letter to Jane Austen, for instance, because she's my favorite author. And even if she couldn't read it, I knew that I would feel better writing down why I was so grateful to her. And I even wrote to some ex-boyfriends, some terrible (laughs) bosses. I didn't send those letters, but I knew that just kind of identifying okay, you know, this guy might not be in my life anymore, but he taught me to drive a stick shift and that was cool. Or, you know, I, this, this person, I had a, f- a friend who, you know, was close with me through college and then she was not a good friend. And at some point I figured that out in my early twenties. And that has been a lesson that's benefited me my entire adult life, because I know the signals now, I know the signs when somebody's not going to be a good friend to me and I can tap out a lot earlier than I would have had I not known this other person in my college years. So um, all of that worked to help me think really expansively about looking for good things around me, even in terrible times, recognizing that there are still some lessons to be learned, that there are good things. And all of that, I think, helps me choose hope over fear, because I can look at how terrible the climate change problem is. And I can think, you know, what's cool about that? Generation Z. That's what's cool about that. Those kids are on it. They're working on it. They're vocal. They're smart. They're organized. How cool to have that generation coming up in our country and working on this problem. Or, you know, I just saw that San Francisco is trying to get to neutral waste or neutral carbon emissions by 2050. They've shortened the time frame in which they're going to do that. Like, great. That's you know, and what can I do? I make, make sure I am not using too much water during this drought. I can, you know, make sure everything that needs to be recycled gets recycled. So it just pushes me back by, by deliberately choosing not to be afraid and instead focusing on what are the things I can do to make this more positive. You know, that, that is what makes me the best version of myself. I know when I'm afraid, I'm a smaller person. Yes. That is a beautiful message to end on. So I really want to thank you for giving your time to talk to our listeners. And I look forward to maybe collaborating on something in the future because it seems that we have a lot of goals in common. So that sounds awesome. I look forward to it. And thank you so much for having me. And if people want to check it out, check out more of my stuff. It's at D-A-V-I-S-K-H-O.com. Excellent. Thank you, Nancy. Have a Thanks, great Maria. day. Yeah, say hey to your rescue dog. I will. You too. All right. Take care.